0: everyone welcome again to another episode of the big questions with big john i'm your host big john and today uh we welcome onto the show a comedian actor author uh advocate he, he's a he's a uh renaissance man of sorts uh let's everyone let's welcome matt nagin to the show
1: well john thank you very much for that uh introduction there.
0: Yeah, man, I know how to bring a, a, a comic on stage. Uh, let me take a second, though, and let me read Matt's bio for everyone. Uh, as I mentioned, Matt is a comedian and author who has published four books. He's appeared on two reality shows, acted in numerous TV and film projects. And of course, he performs stand-up, which he has done in seven countries. Uh, Matt also likes to help others. You know, that's one of the things we're going to touch on. He spent several years as a talent and show coordinator for the Gotham, uh, Comedy Foundation, uh, which is a charitable organization that brings uh, comedians to hospitals and and to senior centers, uh, and I guess really what what you're trying to espouse there is that medicine really is the best, uh, laughter really is the best medicine, right? So that's that's an interesting thing we want to talk about. He has also been uh, involved with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, and in 2019 uh, was granted the Long Island Chapter's Mission Award. So. I'll say, it sounds like he's a fellow New Yorker. So let's get on with talking to Matt. So Matt, let's start out a little bit with, tell me about your background.
1: Well, when you said a fellow New Yorker, I am a New Yorker, but I, I live in Alabama now. So that's oh,
0: a, so right? you're you're an expat New Yorker.
1: I guess you could say that. I, I <laughs> you come back and forth and, and that sort of thing. Okay, okay. Right now, I'm located here in Montgomery. Oh, but, fair uh, enough. Okay. Uh, uh, so... But I'll be back in the New York area uh, later in September uh, in the beginning of October.
0: Cool. Excellent. So uh, where, where where are you originally from? Where are you from uh, New York City or just the greater state of New York?
1: Uh, well, I was born in Queens. I grew up in the Long Island area. I went to Jericho High School mm. and then uh, I lived in LA for a bit. Then I, well, after college, I mean, I went to Cornell, then I lived in LA for a little, then I went back to New York and I lived in New York city for many years, a mm-hmm. uh, number of years, more, almost two decades or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so now I've been living down here uh, about a year and a half or so.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I would love to ask you a couple of questions about that. So, I mean, uh, I say a fellow New Yorker, I'm a Bronx boy myself. You're from Queens. Uh, so definitely within the five boroughs. I, I mean, I could just tell by watching some of your YouTube work, and just uh, the way you carry yourself you definitely have a new york sort of uh, vibe to you so I, I mean that without a doubt you know um and and who would have thought like uh you know that uh, a new yorker an a new yorker becoming a stand up comedian it's never happened before
1: never never especially <laughs> a jewish new yorker there you go <laughs>
0: it never happens it, never, you're never. a rarity among rarity but um it, it's like a, a diamond
1: needle in a haystack but down here in um alabama actually I'm a little bit of fish out of water, so yeah, you must be a little comedic fodder there. You
0: must, you must be like a UFO sighting down there. Uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 I kind of figured there's not too many New York uh, Jewish guys running around uh, Montgomery right about these days, right?
1: There isn't. There's one shul, but actually, <laughs> there is in the whole
0: yeah.
1: city area. But I haven't encountered many people of the Hebrew persuasion. You know. Mm unless you're out hunting or something and they see, see someone with horns, you know, they may start firing, but <laughs> not, not
0: hunting, not hunting Jews. I hope. <laughs> no, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean,
0: they don't, they can't distinguish between,
1: you know, deer and uh, Jews. <laughs> so, you
0: know, it's funny. You, you're, you mentioned that it's funny. Um, uh, uh, Maybe 10, 15 years ago, we had a, uh, a, uh, uh, a woman who worked with my son, he's a special needs student, we had a woman work with my son, and she was originally from the Midwest, like, I mean, corn fed, stereotypical Midwestern woman. And when she moved to Queens, uh, you know, after to to pursue her career, uh, it was hilarious, because one of the first times she came over to the house, she said to me, she goes, did you know that Jewish people go to church on Saturdays? <laughs> like, the concept of a Jew was so and Judaism in general was so foreign to her, but she was like a college-educated woman. It's not like she was some hayseed fell off the back of a truck, you know. And it struck me: being a New Yorker, you just assume that you know about a lot, and you're exposed to so many different cultures and so many different ethnicities that you kind of forget that what is it? Ninety-five percent of the country is is pretty homogeneous. They're not exposed to that. Do
1: you, um, that do, is very true. And yeah. Some people here. Never met a Jew, you know, with some of the rednecks. How do you deal with that? They want to pet you, you know, and, and <laughs> take you around to the family.
0: Do they take selfies with you, but don't touch them, kids? You know, Right, right. Be careful. Time?
1: Be careful. He's yeah. going to boil the Christian blood. The, the, yeah, there
0: you go. And drink it on, uh, on right. weekends. Yeah. So, all right.
1: Zion? What is that? Elders of, <laughs> of Zion. You know okay. that book? Which one? Good elders of Zion. See, I'm now. I'm now. I'm encouraging the anti-Semites to come. To <laughs> the show. Uh, it's it's uh, you know, it, yeah. it's up there with Mein Kampf. As a, a classic track. In the, oh, okay. <laughs> the Jew hating field, you know, which um, uh, we have to keep up on. You know, we have to know where our enemy is. So you know, so that's like why I'm on stage. I I you know, I always got to watch out in case there's right. a sniper. Because, you know, you <laughs> say the wrong joke, you've gotta, you gotta you've got to be quick, at least.
0: Yeah, you, you know, I, I've always said, I, I have the heart of a comedian, but I don't have the temperament of a comedian. Meaning that I love the art form, I love the the personality of a stand-up, uh, I'd like to think, you know, very dabbled, literally, I'm a dabbler in, uh, in uh, written comedy. You know, I've written for shows and stuff. But as a stand-up, I would be terrified to get on stage. I just don't have the temperament for it. Uh, I've always wondered, like, how do, you, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with speaking your mind, yet the very real danger that somebody in the audience might just run up on stage and beat the crap? I mean, we saw the famous incident with Chappelle. We saw Will, Will Smith slap Chris Rock there's been these other incidents that if you go on YouTube, if you just type in slaps comedian or something, you'll find a couple of videos of Stan. How do you deal with that temperamentally? How, how is that something that, or or does it never enter your head? Like you've done it long enough now that.
1: It's ever present, especially Mm. if you're walking that tightrope. Mm. That tightrope. And I've had those incidents, you know, Mm. someone bomb rushes the stage or drunk. There's always been every, pretty much every comic has had at least one or throws something at you or various various things. Uh, yeah, it's a risk. It's kind of like hazards of the trade. Yeah. You try not to think about it. But uh, hey, yeah, that's almost oh, it's almost part of the uh, almost part of the game. But I mean it's rare. It's right. rare. A, a heckle is more common. Right. It doesn't happen that often, but it especially in today's climate, hmm. you know, uh, all bets are off. you you're 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 entering the lines then. Yeah. And um if someone's drunk enough and what usually the irony is what what the interesting part is that people aren't usually offended by what you think they will be offended. Like you hmm. can do a 911 joke and it goes over fine and then you do a joke about you know being cruel to a puppy and then <laughs> you know I saw this once at a show and the like, how can you say that about puppies how can you oh my do god that? it was obviously a fictional thing yeah. that the comic was doing. He was describing, I yeah. want to strangle a puppy. It's like, and she <laughs> got up and she, this is role of animal cruelty, to get. It's, it, she didn't understand that it was a joke. It was a joke, a yeah. you know, he worked in the pet store and he was describing how yeah. he was driving him crazy. And, you know, so you never know what, what will push people like over the edge. And it's usually not, it's something that triggers them in their personal life. It's not like something right. necessarily objectively that is that bad right
0: right right so but but it sounds but i've got the feeling just like an observer of the human condition so to speak that over the years it seems to me like a people are more and i hate using this word triggered obviously but i remember coming up back in the 90s in new york back in the 80s that's how old i am right going to nightclubs going to comedy clubs in new york you did not enter a comedy club with the expectation of getting offended. You went in there with the expectation of being entertained, of laughing, of having a good time. And I'm, and I, I contrast the comedy boom of the eighties, say when, when Kinnison and, and say Andrew Dice Clay and, and um, Len, Lenny Clark and those guys, they were all out there, uh, Do you think right now they would even stand a chance? I mean, we saw a little bit of that pushback in the mid to late 90s, but I don't think it was as almost prevalent as it is now. Do you agree with that?
1: Oh, absolutely. This is the most censored time, but you see it politically as well. In in recent American history, let's just say in the last, maybe you have to go back to the 50s. You probably have to go back to the 50s to find an equivalent, at least in my opinion, Right. Like McCarthy right. era and the writers uh, having to sneak scripts hmm. because you know, communists. Yeah, the blacklist, writers,
2: yeah.
1: Blacklist yeah. and all that. You have to go back to that, I think, to, to find an equivalent to like cancel culture right. and the repressive atmosphere. I mean, definitely not in the 70s, not like the people you said. I mean, and some of those are my favorite comics, like like a Rickles, you mm. know, is Rickles, probably yeah. on my Mount rushmore personally. Right but um but i think people went into the show knowing look he's an equal opportunity offender everyone's gonna right. get it the puerto ricans guys are gonna get it the jewish guys gonna get it every, every single race and creed the chinese guy is gonna get it and yeah. it's a joke and everyone knew it was a joke the part he's not a raging anti-semite he's not leaving there and going to a clan rally anyway when survives not as a Jew. He right 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 you know he's not if you still watch those Dean Martin roasts, it was everybody t- knew unbelievable. You know, Sammy Davis knew it was a joke. Everyone knew they they had it. They had a sort of tongue in cheek thing, and people just let it slide. Now that's not the climate anymore. I mean, it does. There is an element of that. Still, that people let it slide. There's this roast. Mm-hmm. There's everything, but it's a little bit. It's a little bit of a different atmosphere where yeah yeah. So 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 that it you know. The, the,
0: you- do you feel that social media has made it work? So, because I'm, I'm struggling a little bit to your point, the seventies, like you look at some of those roasts, unbelievable, right? Some of the greatest comedic minds probably ever at those roasts, all just having a good time. And obviously you could speak to this better than I, but I doubt there's anything one comedian enjoys more than crapping on another comedian. You know, it, it seems to me like that's your national pastime for you guys, you know, as, 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 a, as a profession, right? Um, you know, if you go down to the cellar in New York or something, there's the there's the the mythological table where, you know, all those acerbic New York comedians would sit and, and just destroy one another. And it was a rite of passage. You know, you'll listen to Patrice O'Neill or Kevin Hart or Bill Burr or any of these guys, Colin Quinn, and they'll tell you, hey, you had to take your lumps. And that's how you proved your mettle, right? If you could keep up with the quickest wits there, right? Um, but even going back to, like, when you look at Lenny Bruce and you hear about what Lenny Bruce did for comedy for society yeah he was persecuted for language but i also look at some of the comedians at the time and within the confines of language they were still pretty edgy you know like i like if you listen to dan carlin you know, even with uh, burns and carlin or even you know you they were george still Ross, they,
1: right? huh you mean george carlin or?
0: Uh, yeah george carlin oh. and, and and then when he was still part with um with right. Burns, yeah. Right. Uh, but even after they split up, you know, they would still, they were very anti-establishment. They were still very edgy. Yes, they couldn't say the F word. They couldn't, you know, like Lenny Bruce famously getting into a courtroom and the court stenographer comically having to type everything that he allegedly said during a nightclub act and have to enter it into the court record, right? Your Honor, he said, sea sucker. And Your Honor, he said, mother effer, you know. He said month or ever. Yeah, he said month or ever. And Bruce, Lenny Bruce said, you guys have said it about 100 times more than I ever said it in that nightclub act, right? Language was a big issue. He fought against that. He suffered for that, obviously, probably ended up uh, committing suicide over it. But, uh, but they were still edgy. I think what's happened, and it's hard to pinpoint, but I'm going to say around the mid 90s now is that people think they have a constitutional right to not be offended. That, you know, I, you know, they think free speech is free until it's offensive. Then you can't, then it's not free speech anymore. Do you find that? Like, I know certain comedians have said, we refuse to go to college campuses anymore. Uh, I know um, Seinfeld said, I won't play any more college campuses. I think uh, Bill Maher said, I'm not going any more college campuses. I mean, do you, do you work college campuses or? I've done a few of them.
1: Yeah. I would, I would. Uh, to be perfectly frank, I've done less gigs since I moved down here. When I go up north, I do more mm-hmm. because I have other interests I've been doing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like writing books and various other things. But okay. um, but I'm doing some. But but uh, in terms of – I've done some colleges, and, uh, no, I find everything they're saying is accurate. Look, I'm, I'm – well, let's start with this. Any comedian who does not completely respect free speech in the full – context of free speech l- loses my respect and then there's a lot of them unfortunately hmm. you know and i don't understand the person i'm a yeah. true free speech ag- advocate meaning in like the literal sense of the term people that you despise should still be allowed to say what they say if you don't like right. it, turn off turn off the station that's just common sense that's fine you can i don't think it should be forced down your throat but you, you, you can turn it off or you can walk out or whatever, but you you, you can't control someone else's speech because first of all it hinders the discourse, mm-hmm. okay. It hinders the, the artistic creativity because you have to sure. fail and fall on your head right. to come up with something good, and it also it's anti-American, it's anti-everything is about. So so no, I'm for true free speech. You know, everyone should be allowed to speak. Clan right. members, uh, Nazis, like everything, you know, should be allowed on the table. Obviously, there's the one level of if you're truly inciting violence, that could be one thing. But outside of that, um, you know, especially in a comedy context, people used to go to a club and know these are jokes. For this one right. night, week, and they, there are, to be fair, there are a lot of people that do. And a lot of the people getting offended are these you know, like Twitter bloggers that don't even go to comedy shows.
0: Right. And at
1: the actual shows, most people, it's a different crowd. And that's really what you got to cater to as a comedy. You can't get dissuaded by those other, because there's always going to be some guy and you take it out of context or you put it on, not that I'm at the level of news, but, you know, a big comedian, like mm-hmm. Lucy K. something says something. And, um, you know, now it's all over the news. Now it's, and it, they're taking a snippet Without right. coming a context, out right. of a routine. And you can make any comedian look bad. You can make anything look bad. You, you go through right. movies, you could do that. Right. Oh, wow, this horror movie. Look what he did. You know, you could get offended by anything. So it's totally it, it, like 20 years ago, it would have been an absurdity to even consider doing something like that. Like, the, the, I thought there was more respect for the creative person. Right. It's like there's respect if you go to the opera. You might not agree with everything you see at the opera or like the way the person, but you would hear it out, you know, and um, you would watch it. If you don't like it, you can, you can leave. That's hmm. fine. That's your right. But a comedian is doing something. He's doing a routine. He's doing something that he's worked on. It, I don't know. I came up with a, a, a huge respect for those people. I didn't always, a lot of times when I was young and I was watching comedians, I would totally disagree with what they had to say. I didn't like anything that, I didn't like their politics, I didn't like their point of view, but I still found it funny because they were so convinced of their point of view and they were so passionate about it that it was funny. It was just funny some guy saying these crazy things.
0: Oh, sure, yeah. And I have to ask you, like, why do you think it is that there seems to be this delineation between comedians and, say, actors? You mentioned opera singers. Like, it's almost like no one will crap on an actor for taking a role where the character was distasteful right that like nobody walks around you were in hunters on uh prime right so nobody walks around thinking al pacino is an ex-nazi who pretended to be a jew to kill other nazis right Mm. like people understand he's he's playing a role you could find that character despicable right and say oh my god he made that movie almost that series almost unbearable for me and then all of a sudden, but it's like, hey, Al, can I get your autograph? Whereas you guys make a joke. Comedians make a joke. And it's like, no, they must really believe it. You know, they must really want to drown those puppies or they really, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever it happens to be. Right. Yeah, you know, that so- is a big problem. I think Why there's also, that?
1: I think as part of it is also ignorance, just my personal opinion, hmm. my because I'm coming from a little bit academic background, too, because I taught college a bunch of years. So, so. uh yeah I mean, if you look back in history, like you go to a modest proposal, I'm going back to seventeenth century here, Jonathan Swift, you know, the writer mm-hmm. of colorless traveler, this right. essay probably familiar modest proposal was the the proposal was that they solved the problem of poverty in Ireland by using um mothers with a lot of kids, homeless mothers, selling that they could sell their babies as food to rich mm-hmm. noblemen, and it would make a delightful dish. and he goes on, this right. whole. Absurd characterization of how good the babies are going to taste. Delicious. The mothers will not have money; they won't be poverty. You don't yeah. have to feed them, and it, and it goes on with all these, you know, very graphic terms. Right. And i have seen students. They read that, and they're like, they're horrified. They're like, how could someone say this? You want to eat babies? You know, this is this is this is a madman. This is a psycho, Not realizing that it's a level of satire. Right. The, the, the narrator doesn't really think this. He's pointing out the lack of solutions to this poverty problem by by putting out this crazy thing and making it sound plausible. Right. So so this is like a a, a common like trope or a common technique in comedy for hundreds of years sure. to to satirize things to parody. You know, people see it. somehow they it, it, it digests easier in like South Park or something. Mm. You know, they'll see some crazy thing and they're like, oh it's only a cartoon. But somehow for I don't know what it is, for stand up. People, people really take it, take it real, sometimes realistically or something is, like
0: Is it because, I, I, and I, I was really thinking about this because your point about the cartoons was something I thought of. You're right. South Park does these crazy things, right? It's a cartoon. You know, same thing with Beavis and Butthead or whatever, you know, Ren and Stim. It didn't, didn't matter, right? The point is that people saw it and they were like, oh, it's not real because it's obvious it's just pictures. Is it also that stand-up, when you listen to people who are describe the art of stand-up, they'll typically say that a successful stand-up incorporates his or her own experiences into their act. That, you know, the, the best comedians are the ones that can take their own pain, their own experience, and turn it into something funny. Do you think that that's part of it, maybe, that people are saying, well, if that's what it takes to be a funny comedian... Then maybe Nagin does want to choke those puppies. Maybe he's done it in his past. That's why he's joking about it now, oh, or what, or whatever the joke is. I mean, do you think that has something to do with it?
1: I don't think so, but but mm. but it's, I mean, it's possible. Anything anything yeah. is, anything is possible. Uh, I think the key thing is uh, is one of the dangers of it all is that then, and I fall into this myself. I have to admit. Mm it's hard enough to get an audience on your side, right? There's already a lot of things, the bar is set high. So a lot of it with me is writing and planning, mm. you know, understanding what I'm doing. There's a level of riffing, but under, having it very clearly sculpted out. So the point is, I can do material on all kinds of stuff. I have a lot of material that's more political, more edgy. Mm. But in this particular climate we're in, particularly lately, you don't want to, you don't want to tank your set. So there's a tendency sometimes and I, and, 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 and it's dangerous. I'm trying to work against it. But if I have 20 different topics, 20 different jokes, I may go with ones that are still funny, but they're not going to offend anybody mm. because, and everyone's together. And I wonder that sometimes that's limiting myself creatively and limiting what I want to say. So that's not always really the best. Right. Because
0: you're, choosing, goes, safety. you're choosing safety in that case, right? You're choosing the safer, yeah. like you're not saying they're your B jokes, right? They're still your no. A, it's still your A material, but you know that I've done them before. Nobody's really objected. And so I'm going to stick to those for tonight, say, or whatever. Even even if I haven't done them, I can pretty much, you can pretty much tell, mm. you know,
1: you, I'm doing this a long time. I can know which jokes they're going to right divide more of the audience it also depends where you're playing what the audience is there's a lot of a lot of factors involved but and of course every comedian once you start getting them on your side you can push it a little more that's like a common thing but the point is the environment is a little more toxic now I think or a little more dangerous and so sometimes comedians just they don't want to deal with it and they'll just do other do topics which still will get it doesn't mean they're bad topics. It just they won't touch some issues which which also sure. need to be touched because they're important too. so 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 that that, that there's there's the rub. And it, you know it's it, it's a hyper competitive environment. You only have so much time so that there you know if you if you're doing an hour, it's a little different. When I went to Edinburgh, I was doing an hour a night, mm. and then uh, you know, I did like twenty four nights. So if you're doing a whole really long set. But you know, a lot of spots in New York, it's like ten minutes, eight minutes. It's a lot easier. If you're doing an hour, of course, mm. you can push it more. But you don't want to lose them. If I lose them, if I have someone screaming stuff on minute four, it could still be an okay set, but it's not going to be what I was hoping, right? You know, because I have to deal with that, or you know, you lose part of the crowd. So it's it's like a weird thing. It's a weird thing. That's the one drawback yeah. of this environment, and and I think the comedians have to fight through it not not cater to that yeah and it's easier said than done though like in this climate right now especially like the last i think the last year or two has been a little crazy a lot of stuff right. been going on and people are nuts you know ever since the covid right box sure the, the what happened like you said the will smith thing yeah people getting attacked chappelle getting attacked there's so many things circulating now the politics right. are heated it's, uh, it, it's not like a normal environment, you
0: know? So I, I, I agree. I got to ask you a question though. And we'll move on because you said uh, stand up isn't necessarily your primary focus uh, these days, but last question is I have One of the things that I, th- I <clears throat> probably for on my bucket list is to try to get up and do like an amateur night set, you know, or something, you know, like see if I could string together 10 minutes or five minutes. I don't even know uh, how much material I could put together, but uh, one of the things, though, that's prevented me from doing that so far is, I have a temper, you know, and 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 the the concept of someone yelling at me and heckling me, and and I might be tempted to just forget my set and just go after that one person.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And in listening to other comedians doing interviews, saying like, "Well, we handle hecklers in this way," some some have said like, "Hey, we've got like ten or twelve catchall responses for hecklers that we just." memorize and we just rattle them off as needed. Others, like I remember one of my favorites of all time was Patrice O'Neill. And he would say, if they're going to make my life miserable, I'm going to make their life miserable. Meaning that he was willing to to, to to bomb his entire set and sit in awkward silence if he had to, because that was the way he chose to deal with it, right? Um, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with say, if it's just not happening one night, if the jokes aren't working, the crowd isn't into it, you've got two or three drunken hecklers, there's a bachelorette party in the front row, you know, whatever, like, what's your method of dealing with that? Because to me, that's the, that might be the most terrifying part of stand-up in my mind.
1: I oh, actually do it, like, everything with stand-up is, like, familiarity, so after you do it a while, it's not so terrifying, but the reality yeah. is, there could be situations where you can't get out of it. So mm. what most people see is specials, like on TV, where it's all polished and fa- there's a level of fabrication, especially if it's like a late night set, oh, you sure. know, a cold to laugh. But if you're like in a real club and you're not, you know, they're not coming to see you, that's a little different because it's rare when you would have that, like everyone's going to see Bill Maher. They're mostly fans of him. So he's Mm -hmm. not going to have like a crazy heckler. They pretty much know what they're getting. Right. You're just seeing random, like a mixed bill set, you know, show in a club or a bar or wherever it is, you Mm -hmm. know, or or a VFW hall or whatever, whatever charity event. It could be anywhere. But the point is you're doing your, your set. They may not expect what you're getting. And you could have all kinds of situations go down some which we even might not you might not have a great set you know it could it could in theory derail you to a certain extent right um the one thing you can't do is have the heckler totally be you. you know you're going to lose the entire respect of the audience um usually they're not that in my opinion you most of the time they're not that eloquent they're drunk mm. so usually you can beat them with intelligence you take pause I like let's hear them out a little bit and then work off that you may ask them a couple questions and then they're usually going to give you material (laughs) that you can actually maybe make funnier than what you were writing right right. but yeah personally i try not to get mad a little bit mad (laughs) but but try to do it in a controlled way right it's kind of like uh to me, it's kind of like the same thing with relationships. I don't know if you ever had this, but I've done a lot of therapy and stuff in relationships. I haven't, no. Oh, well, you know, these shrinks always say, there's like react and respond. Mm. So, like your girlfriend or your wife says something that really pisses you off, which will happen. Of course. your significant other boyfriend. Whatever you're dating says something. And you know, in those dating scenarios, sometimes you can get more angry than anyone else than friends because they can they know your triggers right and and everyone's falling sometimes we fly off the handle get really mad right and that usually is counterproductive if you can stay calm and respond say your point but like in a calm collected right. way direct keeping your composure it usually goes further and you can all maybe more likely to get through to them
2: mm-hmm. So
1: i think there's a little bit of that to the to that you don't want to go off the handle but you also don't want to seem panicked or like they're affecting you
2: mm-hmm. that's
1: even worse because yeah. then if you you know if you're overcompensating angry the, the thing about stand i'll say is that audiences in my opinion can read the truth okay there's like a bullshit detect i don't know what the right cursor.
0: no no it's okay go ahead yeah
1: oh there's like a you know like the hemingway quote he says like the most important thing a writer should have is a constant built-in shit detector. I don't know if you ever heard (laughs) that quote.
0: I haven't, but it sounds like something Hemingway would say. Yeah, yeah.
1: But I always love that quote. And there's something about that, like like an audience I think has, they kind of can tell, like if you're afraid they're going to, they're going to lose respect for you Hmm. because you're supposed to be leading. So, or if you're panicked or something like that, That, that's just a reality of, Hmm. it's it's a very primal thing, even if it's very subtle. Just like a little nerve, unless it's like an act like Woody Allen or something, or like Richard Lewis. Right. But that's right, different. Right. It's sort of like part of the shtick.
0: Well, that's so over the top that it that it's part of the act. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There was yeah so but if you're top. if
1: you're like truly panicked, th- usually unless you, you put it into part of your routine or your character, the audience is not going to feel comfortable. And so yeah, so I think they can tell. And they can also, that's another reason what's great about stand-up, that is good, it's good and bad, is that like if you're really in the moment, you're true to what you, what is going on, like you comment on what's going on, or whatever. Sometimes there's things going on, you know, the, the waitress spills a drink, or there's some weird woman in the front, and right. you integrate that and somehow audiences appreciate that, because it doesn't seem so scripted, it doesn't seem forced. But I, I do think one caveat with that is you know a lot of comedians they they people like like howie mandel how did he come up with all that yeah because he basically did something similar like rickles it's not like he did that exact thing but there is a level of like even me i have a lot of lines that i can say it's not like i'm writing them down like say this there but you've been doing it so long that you sort of can go to that line or that line it sort of comes out naturally
0: sometimes right right. yeah no that's great. listen uh I love talking to stand-ups because I, I, I am truly in love with the craft. I, like I said, I'm not a stand-up comedian. I'm not even pretending to be one. But I, I just admire and love the craft so much. So any chance I get to talk to a stand-up about their craft, I, I truly enjoy it. And thank you for taking the time to do that. Uh, you mentioned that your, uh, your stand-up is in your primary focus right now. Uh, you still get out and do it on occasion. Uh, what is your primary focus right now?
1: Well, I've been writing these books. I'd probably say creatively, you know, doing a little acting still, mm. but I'm trying to do more of that back in that. And these books, I'd say would be my primary. Mm. I have two novels and um one and, you know, they both have a comedic element and then there's a. it's not really a memoir, but it's like comedic essays mm. and then a book of stories and I have a lot of writing that's published over the years and yeah, I think I'm, pro- like, if I was to say one thing, I'm primarily a writer, mm. like, but I got into all the other things as a result of writing kind of, stand-up is, for some, some are just like actors and like improvising, you right. know, like doing a million characters. For some stand-up, some are more writers, some are more actors. I'd say I fall more into the, the writer category, but that doesn't mean I don't um improvise on stage, because I do, actually, but but um, yeah, no, writing, I'd say, is like my number one passion. Uh, you know, it's with writing comedy, there's only so much of a market. So that's how I got right. part of how I got into stand up. Uh, how many people, not as many people read today, but I, you know, it's like a love of mine. And I'll just say, I, uh, six years ago, and no, a little over six years ago, I was hit by a car, okay, oh. crossing the street. And I had um, a lot of problems from it. Uh, I had like 27 stitches and stuff. Uh, there was glass in my arm yeah, I don't know if you can see. I had scars here, yeah. but um, uh, all kinds of problems, like tendon. It's yeah. not to get into the whole thing, but the yeah. point is I thought I'm, I could have died in that scenario because the car hit me. It's a long right. story. But the bottom, the short version is one more step. I think I would have died. The car was going very fast.
2: Right.
1: So you get it was like a, one of those moments where I was like, uh, I thought to myself, what do I really want in my life? Like, what, what was coming to me was just like, wow, I wish I'd finished those books that I didn't. And it was such a strong feeling that it's inspired me to this. I've still been working on some of this stuff, which wow. I'm almost complete. But, but um, yeah, it was like very overpowering. And I trust that. I'm very like one of People say, don't do that. Don't go by your emotions. by your... I do that with relationships, too. Don't go by your instincts. <laughs> but I'm a very kind of uh, instinctual type person. How I, long, I, how long I, I ago was that? But how long ago
0: was that accident, uh, Matt?
1: Six years ago, believe it or not.
0: Yeah, you know, I had a similar situation where I was in a very bad car wreck eight years ago. Um, I was paralyzed for six months. I had a broken neck, a shattered hip. My, my wow. face was busted up. And... I remember at the moment of impact because I got a uh, T-bone basically. And I remember that, it, it, you know, it came out of nowhere. And before I lost consciousness, it was really weird. Like I didn't have that your life flashes before your eyes moment or anything like that. But I remember the last conscious thought I had before I woke up in the emergency room was, eh, it's been an okay life. <laughs> you know, just like that, you know, it was just like, it's been an okay life. I have no regrets, you know, because I honestly thought that was my last breath. You know, I mean, it's funny what you think of in that moment, you know, and, um, for me, I've noticed that ever since then, other than my family, I don't have too many, I don't, you know, I don't have too many fucks to give for people, you know, that, that I find to be intolerable. And I also doubled down on my vo- vow to be a free speech absolutist, you know? So, uh, I understand there's a time and place, but I always say, if you ever hear me apologize for an opinion, I'm being insincere. Because I'll apologize for an error in fact, like if I said, you know, person did X and they did Y, my bad. But if someone says, I want you to apologize because you think XYZ, no, no, sorry, that doesn't work that way. Um, so I understand what you're saying by that, that that sort of flash of, of you saying, like, if it ended there, would you have said I've led, I'm, I'm okay with my life at that point? And and it sounds to me like you said, I still need to do something. Am I done? And it sounds to me like you thought you weren't at that point. Is that the case?
1: Yeah, it was. It was. It's hard to explain without getting. Yeah, but the short version is is like, in from a practical sense, there was other things I could have done. Right. Would probably more focus would get me more. For example, get me more known. Get Mm. me more success outward trappings of success maybe more possibly you know more acting parts more comedy more whatever all those right. kinds of things that people want to do in the entertainment and i know that for a fact I, I, it doesn't matter or not but the point is you know choosing to write books is a risky proposition yes because people there's not that there's not as many people reading books let's just re, be, be real that's just it's a smaller market right so I, obviously that, that was self-evident, but, and I didn't give up the others. I'm just saying that that became, it, the feeling was so strong that I couldn't ignore it. It doesn't matter about any any other practical thing. Right. You know, I wouldn't be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And even now when I'm, every time I'm working on this and I'm getting some of it done, there's a sense of fulfillment of happiness that I, w- I don't think I would have, no matter how much success. I could be Louis C.K. touring, <laughs> you know, the thousand, you know, yeah, 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 it, yeah. It, it, it has to be, what is that guy that said, be careful, you climb the ladder of success, because it could be hanging off the wrong wall. You know what uh, I,
0: mean? I was going to say, I thought you were going to go down the path of, be careful what you ask for, because you might get it. Right. I thought you were going to say that, but I guess it's the same concept. Yeah, just there's, there's definitely pitfalls to success. There's absolutely no doubt about that in my mind, um, in any, not just in entertainment, I think in any endeavor, you know, like when I was on wall street, you know, I was all in, I was like, you know, I was on wall street during those wolf of wall street days, you know, and yeah, I was making a lot of money, but guess what? You know, a couple of wrong turns and I'd be one of those guys with a cocoa D or, or, you know, or ending up in jail or something like that. You know, I saw it happen to a lot of good, smart people. You know, they just got caught up in that success, you know, and then they ended up On the wrong side of what was that? Did you work at Stratton Oakmont? No, no, I I missed out on that. (laughs) But but believe it or not, uh, I you know a lot of a lot of us who saw that the movie, The Wolf of Wall Street, with um, DiCaprio, um, that wasn't too far from reality. Not necessarily Stratton Oakmont, but the the what was attendant to that sort of environment where. You had a lot of young alpha males with a lot of cash to dispose of very quickly. And, and, and that was never a good recipe for, for temperament. You know what I mean? It was always like, you know, how many hookers can we pack into the office? And, and, you know, how, how big in the, you know, it wasn't your salary, it was your expense account. How big was your expense account? Because that was the true sign of, of, of value. Like, mm-hmm. what do you mean? I, I need a counter signature for anything over a hundred grand? Nah, you're nothing. I got mine up to half a mil without a counter signature or whatever, right? When I started out, they were like, oh, here's your limit. You know, it's 5K. I'm 24. Well, 5K, that's, that, that's fantastic. I never drop 5K on the dinner. Right. You know what I mean? And, and, and then, you know, as you went up the ladder, that 5k, so it wasn't a salary necessarily. It was like, how much did they trust you to, that they knew you weren't spending on business. That was almost like an IRS tax-free bonus you were getting, right? Because it was just like, you know, so, but I get it, you know, I get how people could say, I can't wait to be as big as Louis CK or as big as Chappelle or, or whoever, you know. And then when you get to that point, it's like, yeah, I got all no, I, I probably that'll never
1: happen. I'm just I'm just No, saying, I understand, but I, you know, but I I was using it as an extreme example. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. A I get it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that was great. Okay. So, uh you mentioned you're into writing. Uh your latest book was that Do Not Feed the Clown?
1: Right. Which well, I haven't put anything out since that book like since 2019, but I have a story coming out in an anthology. Mm. Um and I'm forgetting the title now, but I should have had it. But it's okay. it's some kind of weird tale anthology, yeah. which is, uh, looks pretty good. It was going to, they've had like five of them It comes in book form on Amazon and that should be coming out next month. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I have stories in a bunch of different, uh, journals and magazines and online places and poems that were, you know, all over, all over. So, okay. yeah. So I, I, I've been writing a long time. It's not like a new thing. Right scripts too so and I made a short film that did some festivals so, excellent so, so yeah
0: okay great let me ask you uh now about uh if you don't mind talking about your charitable work yeah. uh like tell us a little bit about that
1: well the uh the Crohn's stuff uh well I have I've had Crohn's 30, 30 years mm. uh I'm Doing great now. Okay, hmm. so in terms of that, now I'm actually off all medicine. I got wow. I became this probably is I don't know if this is good for your listeners if there's oh, someone right wing, but I became vegan. I am somewhat right wing, I consider myself like a right-wing Bohemian. That was but, gonna be uh,
0: my next question, but okay, go yeah, ahead. <laughs>
1: but 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 I but I know I usually most of the stuff, a few things I go left, you know, it's it's a complicated, yeah. but the point is. One thing that I know right-wing people hate is vegans, <laughs> and that is so attached to the, the liberal yeah. side, but I found it was great for me and my own personal health. I'm not pushing right. on anyone. I don't tell anyone that they they want to everyone else should eat what they want. I'm totally- Yeah, not I'm just saying it was very good for me and enabling me to get off a lot of medications and improve my life. But in terms of the char- charitable work, yeah with Crohn's there's a Crohn's and colitis foundation and have been involved and my family's been involved for many years and um there's all kinds of work involved with that so yeah they did they did give me an award at Garden City Hotel Mm. and um I'll have to share with you but there was a rap I did a comedic rap Mm. uh called Illus MC and uh my, my name was Lil cronzy you know, so like uh, and uh, we recorded a friend of mine. He actually records we recorded, you know, some real rappers, hmm. uh, a lot more in the 80s, but like real big and decent names. Right. And he helped me video it and record it. And uh, yeah, so that was that was great. We played it at the event. They didn't want to play because it was a little dirty, but it okay. convinced them. <laughs> and uh, the donor was going to drop out if they didn't because he loved it. And um, they put it on. And then everyone loved it. And they were like, oh, sorry. We said it was, you know, too edgy or whatever. Right, but
2: right.
1: even the kids were like it. So, <laughs> so that, was, that was a great night, except for the fact that my 99-year-old grandma died at the award
0: ceremony at the Garden City Hotel. Oh, no. So, so it was a
1: kind of crazy night.
0: Oh, which, no. Yeah. Wow, I don't mean to chuckle at that, but it, it's yeah. a confluence of of, of uh, emotions there, right? I mean- It was a dramatic night,
1: and that was very close with her. Oh, she was, crazy. She was sharp to the, she died, but I still had to go on and do my award because it was like hundreds of people, and you know, I was making a speech also. Right, right. And But it was, I scrapped anything I had written
2: because mm.
1: I was gonna do, the, I, it ended up being a little funny, but I was gonna do these jokes and stuff, but, you know, given everyone had seen my grandma die, it was a crazy, a crazy scenario. Right. I went off the cuff, kind of, and then they played the video and it was, it was nice. though. So everyone, you know, I dedicated the award to her
0: right, and,
1: right. um, and it ended up being, it ended up being a, a really nice
0: night. Of course, it was, it was a hard night at the same time. Like, I, I, yeah, definitely. Um, I didn't know that. I'm sorry to hear that, that you had to go through that, but, um. Okay, you, you kind of alluded to this before. <clears throat> the way you came to uh, my attention and my partner William Dull Pilar's attention uh, is uh, f- uh, on Twitter. Um, I'm a libertarian. Uh, everyone who watches the show knows that um, my partner William is uh, known as a conservative Latino. He's definitely a conservative right winger. So when we manage our Twitter account, you know, <clears throat> we each uh, pick we promise not to offend the other one. So I'll pick libertarians to follow. He'll pick conservatives to follow uh, comedians that each one of us likes and so forth. So he, he sent me a note and he said, you know, this Matt uh, Nagin, he looks like a New Yorker, you know, you, you should see if you can get him on your show because uh, he's a conservative, John, he's not a libertarian. He's a conservative. I said, all right, I'll give him a shot. But in going through your, your Twitter feed, uh, I have to ask you, see, now I'm not, and I hope I'm not going to be offending you here, but are you more conservative-leaning conservative, conservative leaning, or are you more, I kind of love the way Trump upset the apple cart, so I'm a, quote, Trump conservative in the sense that I may not have been what my, people might refer to as a traditional conservative until Trump came along,
1: or... or... Okay, well, basically with me, yeah, I'll just... Lay it out. Yeah. So I was always liberal, if anything. I mean, if you go back, okay. So I, I, I'm, I think it's hard, to, it's hard to say where I fall because I'm all over the spectrum. Mm. Some of the things I would be, you know, I would say if you went back to like a 60s liberal, if you believed in that, mm. there's some of those aspects that I would like and some conservative aspects. Like, for example, 60s liberal free speech, which I thought was total free speech, Mm. right? Tolerance of everybody and total free speech. You could disagree, but they could speak. That's where I fall in free speech. Now that's become right wing. So I'm right wing. Mm. You see what I mean? Uh, It's not that I'm, I don't think I'm the most right wing person. There's a few things that I am, like what we call right wing, like immigration. I do think like the wall is a good idea, you know, Mm. or at least having some kind of border control. Right. Yeah. you know, so it depends on the issue, okay? And that's where I, where it gets very complicated. Like um, like abortion, I happen to be pro-choice. You know, um, guns, I can go either way. I'm I'm kind of open-ended on it. You know, honestly, the the biggest the biggest issue that pushed me to the I was pushed to the right, I believe, was the vaccination, and that's so like my Twitter has become less like comedy. Because i got so angry about it you know right. i never took those products and i believe in the person's um freedom to uh to decide their own health consequences right and um that should be their own jurisdiction and their own thing with their doctor and the, what i saw in the last couple of years was shocking also as a jew i mean it had such parallels I don't know everyone says it, but to me, it's such parallels to the ho- Holocaust discrimination mm-hmm. of every kind against a whole class of people. Right. And um, you know, it was so upsetting that I know I've lost a lot of work as a result of my some of my views. Right. But I couldn't help it. I, I, I just felt this was too like too big and too important. And um, so I've been speaking out about the vaccine. I've been, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a crazy anti-vaxxer. But in this particular vax, I saw problems from the start, and I was looking at medical literature, and I was trying to warn people. No, a lot of people weren't listening to me. I still have issues with a lot of people, but, but um, yeah, that 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 was like that was like my.
0: Uh, was tipping, or I was moment. going to say that was your tipping point, right? It was yeah, that was my tipping. Point. The, the, yeah,
1: and 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 yeah. other things now too. I don't like you know with the with the liberal side, and there's enough there that. I guess I, I I I probably am more libertarian than conservative, to be honest with you. Okay. I'm somewhere in the middle, you know, I'm somewhere in the middle because I because I am on some social issues, kind of kind of liberal. So I, I I actually, if you had to characterize me, I'd probably say libertarian, but I don't yeah. put a name on. it.
0: Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, it's interesting because it sounds to me like first of all, don't feel like you're alone. A lot of us feel the way you do when it comes that the issues you supported are the same issues you haven't changed. The world around you has changed, right? So I always say I'm a libertarian. I've been a libertarian for about 25, 30 years. <clears throat> but growing up in New York, obviously you did as well. Um, New York is, being a conservative in New York, you know, is, is you know, you're, you're a hunted person everywhere, right? right. Um, <clears throat> so as a conservative in New York, I always used to say, The one thing, the one thing I always faulted conservatives on going back to even to the Reagan administration was their, their objection to complete free speech. Like, so if someone said to me, well, we believe in free speech, except for pornography. Nope. If you say, I believe in free speech, comma, but I don't care what comes after the, but you're not for free speech. Uh, Free speech means tolerating every idiot that you despise having the same rights as you do. So, yeah, you know, I, I I will argue with people till I'm blue in the face. I will debate them, but I would never say, shut them up. I am personally anti-Trump. The worst mistake Twitter ever did was banning them off Twitter. I still believe this a, because it's morally wrong. I think. And B. I wanted to know what he was thinking. For the first time in our history, we had a guy who told you his stream of consciousness 24 seven. We were exposed to it, not some social media manager, him. Why would you want to deny the public that access to me? And to your point earlier, Nazis should have free speech too. Guess why? I want to know who the Nazis are. I want to be able to spot them, right? And here's the, here's where it gets complicated though.
1: Because um, a lot of left-wing people, true progressives, also agree with us. Hmm. So there's left and right. It, it, this is where it gets really complicated. Yeah, it, and it some is. some of them do go, like, like a Naomi Wolf goes on Bannon, but it's not just like – it's like even like a Gary we will play clips. I don't know if you follow him because I, I listen to – I'm into his health stuff, but he'll play clips from Tucker, you hmm. know, or um, and Jimmy Dore is very right left I was going to say,
0: Jimmy Dore is probably yeah. – the most vocal who I always considered leftist liberal, even Bill Maher to some extent, even though I think he's more of a contrarian, but, you know, Jimmy Dory's is like, wait, are we trying to be beat the right from the right now? I thought that was a great line. Like as liberals, are we trying to outright the right, you know, like with this <laughs> censorship and, 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 and triggers and safe spaces and whatnot. Um, it's not, because it's not only that it's, um, the
1: left has lost their integrity in my opinion mm. they don't stand for what they stand and they're, they're, that's how trump as has the door open whether you like trump or not be, be, like the example is you know everyone always gives is assange you know if you really mm. support free speech you can't be locking this guy up Agreed. and throwing away the key and then th- that is just from what i'm seeing there's so many others now that the, the the raid, the raid they just did on Mar-a-Lago, but also um, Project Veritas. They, they, you know, they went through the, anyone that has a different point of view. The FBI is weaponized against you, in my opinion. So that's autocratic, and so it's so is it shutting down anyone you don't like, like a doctor, like Doctor Malone. And so I'm seeing so much evidence of totalitarianism, dictatorship, and so much evidence of basic, basically almost you're, you're heading towards a fascist state. Mm-hmm. So when you see that, I'm obviously against that. You yeah. know, I can't support that. So that's how I become, he'll say, oh, you're a crazy Trump. Not really. I'm, uh, I, first of all, I probably like DeSantis better because of his vaccine stance. But I just don't want any more of what's going on. I think America's going down the tubes. So if it's Trump or Biden, I would take Trump any day of the week. That's just me personally. Not yeah. that Trump it's so great. I understand yeah. he's flawed.
0: Yeah. No, it's funny because I, I know a lot of people that have sort of your outlook. Uh, my personal belief is if if neither one of them represents me, I'm not I'm staying home. I'm not voting. I refuse to be part of that because in my opinion, one of the one of the main reasons we got to where we are is by always voting against someone rather than for someone. So in 2016, I had Gary Johnson to vote for, who I truly I knew he wasn't gonna win, but I truly Preferred him. He represented my interests. Um, when people tell me, like, vote for Trump because a vote for Biden kills Trump's chances, or vote for uh, a vote for Biden, or the opposite, you know, vote for Trump kills Biden's chances, you know. And my thing was, I couldn't care less. What makes you think you're entitled to my vote by default? You know. So, as a libertarian, you're always in someone's ra- radar, right? Um, I can't tell you how much hate mail we've got in saying like, you know, those damn libertarians in the swing states that Trump lost, they were the margin of, of difference. Good. Maybe pay attention to the libertarians next time. You don't You don't get our vote by default. Give us something at least. It used to be that if you were a libertarian, say in the old days, you might align with Democrats who really supported free speech. Like if you were a libertarian and your major gripe, your major concern was free speech, you would likely maybe sort of like hold your nose and vote for a democrat back back say in the mid 70s or, or late 70s right if you were a libertarian whose main concern was the economy you might hold your nose and vote for republicans in the 80s when they still believed in free markets and and you know and less regulation and all that um so but now i've noticed that Libertarians in the major parties are just not represented at all. So, to me, if you were a libertarian, always saying, "Well, I don't like either one of them, but I'm going to take the lesser of two evils," people don't realize that when you say I'm voting for the lesser of two evils, what you're really saying is I'm still voting for evil. So, I kind of harken back to that old George Carlin line. You know, he used to say, um, "People tell me that if I don't vote, I have no right to complain." And what was his his famous line was? No, sorry. I'm the one. I'm the only one who has the right to complain because I didn't vote for either one of those two guys. I'm the only one who has a right to complain. So part of it is being able to complain uh, morally uh, with the moral superiority of saying I can complain. But I understand what you're saying, because having heard you describe your various sort of stances and stuff, like I could see very easily where you would be like, I'm almost without a party right now. You know, like in this particular thing, the immigration may have been your not. You mentioned that might the wall may have been your number one concern. So you might float COVID. more, or, or 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 the COVID. You might float more towards the Republicans. Um, but well, I'm, no, no, I hear
1: what you're saying, and then you you make some some point good points, and um, my friend feels like you do. He says you should. We need to have vote third party vote vote. Um, there has to be a. Uh, kind of like a groundswell and another third option because mm. the two options are, are defunct. Yeah, there are different philosophies on this. Sure. But you know, my, my, just my philosophy on that is just, I'm looking at a train wreck. I don't even know if America, but what I really see is we, there may not be America in two years. So if another four years, I think the country could be down the tubes completely. So I'm just trying to like sur- see if the country can survive. I don't know if I'm going to even stay here. So right. you know what I'm saying? Because I, I think that I really think it's that bad. So that's how I get to taking the lesser two evils. Although I do hear your point. You not. I am, I am supporting something that I, you may have a higher ethics than me, actually. You're probably the better person <laughs> because you're you're standing by your principles and you're saying, you know, you. you this isn't really what I want. Let me let me vote for what I what I really want. And that, that is the only way to change, ever change to a third party. So there is a good argument to be made
0: for that. It, it, I mean, I certainly understand because I've had family members, you know, who who in 2016 came up to me and said, You gotta vote for Trump. Hillary Clinton is the worst evil we've ever seen in this country. And I remember saying to myself, Well, I understand your point of view. I think it's short-sighted. I think you haven't studied history if you think Hillary Clinton is the worst possible candidate we've ever had. Um, on either side of the fence. But okay, I understand your point. Um, but then to see them, people who I knew were what we used to call like Barry Goldwater conservatives, or Ronald Reagan conservatives, two years in come and tell me, Trump is just like those two guys. No, he's not, you know, you may like him, but he's nowhere near Barry Goldwater. He's not in Ronald Reagan. He's not a Milton Friedman. Why are you distorting your reality. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like then when 2020 came around, all of a sudden Joe Biden was the worst candidate ever and he was the greatest evil. And of course on the left it was the same thing. I'm not going to I'm not trying to pin this on Republicans necessarily because I can't tell you how many of my democrat friends being in New York, nine out of 10 of my friends are leftists, right? Oh John, please don't vote libertarian. We got to make sure no trumpers get into office. Sorry, I'm not one of those guys either, you know what I mean? So To me, it's just um, much like our car accidents. It was just a lightning bolt that hit me after Papa Bush got elected. And after seeing, you know, how he moved away from the Reagan revolution, which had its own problems. I'm not in any way saying Reagan was perfect, you know, but he at least showed us a different way. He brought in some people like Milton Friedman to advise him that I thought, were true libertarians and they could really talk about free markets and stuff. But ever since then, I said, you know what? And then when Romney was a Republican candidate, I'm like, I used to call him a white Barack Obama. I really saw no substantial difference between the two, except one was black and from the inner city and the other one was a Tony uh, white guy. So I think that's the problem. I think the problem is people are just settling. They just would rather vote against someone than vote for someone. I don't consider it a matter of ethics, quite honestly. I mean, I appreciate you saying that, but I just think it's more just, I came to that insight. So if it helps someone that, to hear my insight, great. If it doesn't, hey, I'm an asshole. You know, it's like, I'm just somebody on the podcast. So, all right, Matt, let's uh, let's wrap this up. I, you've been very generous with your time. Um, Uh, now we're at the part of the show where I ask you silly questions. So there's no right or wrong answers to these. It's just whatever comes into your head. Uh, So the first one, person who most inspired you, and you could take that any way you want, living, dead, in any sort of field, who do you consider the most inspirational person?
1: I'd have to say... There's a few, but I have to say maybe, maybe Stanley Kubrick.
0: Okay. Kubrick. Okay. You could give me two or three. It's okay. Kubrick. Anybody else?
1: You want me to go into why or just say, just say the names.
0: Anything you're comfortable with, man. Free flow show.
1: Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd say like some of the creative artists that like, like Rukowski, Kubrick, Woody Allen, mm-hmm. uh, Don Rickles, those would be uh, I'm trying to think who else. Uh yeah, maybe a Hemingway or someone like that. Okay. Uh, those would be those would be up there on my Mount Rushmore. Okay. Seasons, but that's a whole other story.
0: Who would you say was your favorite comedian? That that out of the bunch that you mentioned? I know you mentioned Woody Allen. You mentioned um yeah, Rickles. Don Rickles. You know, I,
1: I would say like for 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 fun to watch, just like I enjoyed what was Rickles. Mm. Just like just if you just see him doing a panel, he was always funny, always something different just, just right. like it was just laid back. In terms of like greatest comedian, I'd probably say just like craft and everything would be like Harlan. Mm. but he didn't make me laugh as much as like like a Rickle like the ones that made me laugh the most are probably like Rickles, Jackie Mason. Mm. at least when I first time I saw Rodney Dangerfield and uh, maybe like uh, Gilbert Godfrey. Oh yeah, so so those those are all like like people that are kind of a little weird or just yeah different and those those were were my funniest to just enjoy just like you know there's nothing better
0: I know because a lot of the guys you mentioned are among my favorites as well and I mean um, I was so saddened to see that uh, Gilbert passed away recently Uh, uh, and I was lucky because I had never seen him do stand-up live and I think three or four months before he passed away I caught him at Caroline's in New York and I was I I at least said to myself okay at least I could say I saw Gilbert live yeah uh, yeah
1: yeah, I never like worked with him personally but I actually did when I was younger to go see him at Caroline's too and then I was talking to him after and he I bought his DVD to you know support him and he said and I was telling about myself and he and then he signed my DVD he says to another money hungry Christ killer (laughs) You know, that's a great your,
0: Gilbert line you gotta yeah, love that
1: line, you know and, and and I and I still had that it was it was it was a nice thing to look at you know like when he died and stuff yeah
0: that's that's a great line yeah and it shows you what kind of crazy good comedian he was who was outside the box too that's the other thing and literally you wouldn't go to Gilbert for insight like you mentioned Carlin Carlin was a wordsmith he was always socially aware Pryor was socially aware um, I don't think Gilbert you could ever hang that description on him. I don't think you ever walked away from a Gilbert Gottfried set going, hmm, that made me think. No, what he did was he made you laugh and he made you laugh hard and he was unapologetic. I love it. You also mentioned Woody Allen. I bet you not too many people alive today would ever think of Woody Allen as a stand-up. They probably think of him as a director, an actor, comedic actor. But if you go back and listen to some of those records from the early mid 60s, maybe I'm guessing that's the time frame, um, hilarious stuff. I mean, his whole bit about the ending up at the at the country club and the joke was on them because he's Jewish and it's a restricted club. I mean, it and it, would, it was like a half hour joke that ended up with that punchline. Amazingly uh, great stand up. I don't think he gets enough credit as a stand up, not necessarily right. as an actor um okay he had so many great
1: lines yeah he said something like the, the last time i was inside a woman was the statue of liberty <laughs> so he, he, was a, he was a great writer and he wrote jokes yep. for all these people in the in the post and not the post but in something like that various newspapers and various mm. um you know they people would have like witty gags that they celebrities would say that's like how he got started It was in his memoir mm. apropos of nothing which was fantastic by the way Okay. But um, yeah, he, and he. I think he was. He's for me one of the reasons he's so not just his stand up, which I have watched, uh, but um, and his albums and all that. But it was more for his. The, you know, he he liked writing, which I like too, He wrote his humor writing, which I always really enjoyed. That he did stand up, and then he did films, and he did acting. He did. I mean, he did everything basically. Plays, and then he right. just had a kind of like educated new york jewish like there were so many things that i had in common with him right that i felt like he if anyone was an influence in my life it was him to try to actually do this crazy craziness because i always so i've I've seen all his movies and i always so admired his movies and his i i know there's some scandals and everything like that but but um he, he just like as a pure artist Right. To me, he's one of the greatest, and just just on his consistency too. Just who else makes great movies for you know like forty five years? Every year makes like a fantastic movie. It's unheard. I agree with you. Maybe Charlie Chaplin, but
0: yeah, no, I agree. I agree with you. I I think he doesn't. I think as a filmmaker, he gets all the credit he deserves. Um, I think as a stand up not anywhere near what he deserves okay final question being a jewish man originally from new york where do we get the best chinese food in new york <laughs>
1: i'm trying to think uh i mean i guess I, I guess if you want the highest quality i'd say you either go to you know chinatown i can't remember the name of you used to go to dim sum i can't remember the name of the place because it was chinese letters but right, right. they were flushing because that's where it's like authentic that's where my dad used to take me down there, and I think to Flushing,
0: that, to Flushing or to Mont Flushing Mont Street,
1: both Flushing or or, or down the Ma Street because you are getting the authentic. You get it. I forgot the name of the place, but they would have like Cantonese. There's one good place in Chinatown off Moss Street there.
0: Right, right. And man, was it was it anywhere near the chicken who plays tic tac toe on the street?
1: Maybe I know. I think another one you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, there, there, was a some little dirt off dirt. the off the in the back there. I can't.
0: Yep, remember. yep, yep, yep. I. Yeah, that, like if uh, most most urban, big urban cities have like a, a Chinatown, you know, like I know Boston does, obviously San Francisco does. Um, but the one in New York you walk through, you almost, if if you want to get authentic Chinese food, you have to go with someone who speaks the language natively. Because when you walk in and you're like reading the menu in English and everything, they don't give you the good stuff. You know, like you got to order the stuff where you see the four Chinese guys around a bowl, each one trying to stab a live fish, you know, trying to eat it while it's still moving. That's the good stuff you want to try as far as I'm concerned, you know, but all right. Hey, Matt, listen, thank you for joining us today on the show. Um, I hope you had an uh, enjoyable time with us. I really enjoyed talking to you and uh, keep in touch. And definitely before we go give out some plugs, give us your website, give us any upcoming books or, 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 or anything you want to let us know about.
1: Thanks so much for having me john uh yes i uh you can check out i'm updating some i just booked some more shows for when i come into new york later in september and october and a show or two down here i'm doing upcoming uh at a temple in birmingham Mm. uh but uh but you can check it all at mattnagan.com or or if you can't not spell my last name, just go to the Matty World m a t t y the Matty World. Okay. But also on Twitter m nagin, Instagram nagin please. Uh yeah, if you go check out my YouTube, I got a lot of videos I'm posting these fake news stuff. And uh, sorry giving you my whole bio no thing. no
0: that's that's but, great.
1: But, but yeah, and and I have some character stuff I'm going to be posting now. Um, so a whole slew of videos and some and. and I don't always post my stand-up set because then people know my material, but I'm going to post a little bit, a couple right. of clips coming up. So uh, yeah. I have, and I have some books coming out and, and stories. So yeah, it's a whole, whole bunch of stuff. Um, thank you so much for having me on, man. And, uh, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again. It was, it was really cool. Absolutely.
0: And if you make it back to New York, I'll keep an eye on, maybe we can meet up at where you'll be doing your gigs um everyone that's mattnagin.com themattyworld.com we're going to have that up on the website uh that goes along with this show so until next time everyone catch us again on the big questions with big john